What is up, all you beautiful, beautiful, beautiful fresh takers? This is Joey with Joey and Ranveer from the title of the podcast you're listening to. I want to thank you guys so much for tuning in. We have a wonderful episode today. We are joined by Amy Rivera-Cole, who is running for a seat in the Indiana House of Representatives in District 37. We had a great conversation. Check it out. And if you're wondering where Ranveer is, well, you're just going to have to wait until the end of the episode to find out that little mystery. But please, enjoy. Welcome back to Fresh Take uh, with Joey and Ranveer. Today we have a very special guest. We are joined by Amy Rivera-Cole, who is running for the Indiana State House of Representatives in District 37. Uh, if you want to introduce yourself, say a couple things uh, that you're running on, what your platform is. Sure. Hi. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. Um, my name is Amy Rivera-Cole, and like you said, I'm running for um, Indiana House District 37, which is mostly Fishers. There's a little tiny sliver of Noblesville in there. Um, and I'm running for a lot of reasons, um, but one of the main reasons is for public education. Um, my son wants to be a teacher. He's starting his second year of college now um, in education. And honestly, I don't want him to have to move away to get a job that pays. Mm-hmm. Um, our, I've been really invested. We were talking before the show about all my volunteering over at the Um, schools over the years and I'm just I'm really invested in our schools I love our schools I love our teachers my mom was a public school teacher for I don't know 40 years she still acts like she is (laughs) anybody she sees on the street she's like you know acting like she's still a second grade teacher it's funny but um yeah I just I want to make sure that our teachers are treated like the professionals Mm -hmm. they are um, that they're paid what they deserve that our students have everything that they need um, to be successful and to be safe. And um, and we need to, well, one of the ways we could stop that is to stop the overuse of standardized testing. Yeah. We spend so much money, yeah. millions of dollars, and it's so worthless. We talked about that a couple episodes ago. It's really not learning. It's more memorization, retention of information. And it just increases the disparity of socioeconomic. We talked about that in the second episode of public education. If you haven't listened to that, go listen to it. But I mean, so are you trying? What is your plan to really reestablish standardized testing then? Because it's become so rooted in the way that we learn. Well, we have there's tests that are like local local benchmark tests, like the um, and I'm going to get the acronym wrong. The <laughs> I N W E A or and I think that was after me. Cause NWEA. <laughs> well, there's... Not NWA. <laughs> it might be NWA. I, I think Ice Cube sponsors the Indiana State Public. But there are, there's local standardized tests. And frankly, teachers, they're professionals. Mm-hmm. They know when their children are learning and what and if they're achieving the benchmarks they need to achieve. And we need to trust them to do what they went to school for, what they were trained to do. And they need to be allowed to teach to inspire because, I mean, I bet you can think of, I know I sure can even, and I've been out of school 110 years now, <laughs> um, but I could still remember a, a teacher that just truly, really inspired me. And if if we would have been stuck to this, like, hardcore curriculum, I know she wouldn't have had yeah. the ability to, to do the, some of the things that she did that really impacted me even to this day. Well, do you think, because in my experience going through the Fisher School System, they had some kind of freedom. Do you think that Fisher's in, is unique in that, or are we even behind the curve in 
getting out of the curriculum because I feel like I've had a, a few teachers. They might even have been going rogue sort of <laughs> thing, but like I, 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 I had a few really impactful teachers. Do you think Fisher's is a little ahead of the curve or? Well, I think we just have some amazingly creative yeah. teachers who are able to, um, to do both things. And we're lucky that we have um, the opportunity, our students have the opportunities that they have because in some areas where there is a greater disparity between, um, there's a greater gap, like an income gap or even a, a learning gap, it's more difficult for those teachers to, um, to be able to do those things because you can't leave yeah. somebody behind. You gotta, keep, you gotta keep all the children up to the same level. So I just think that we have some really, we're really blessed in a lot of mm -hmm. ways, but if, if we keep heading down the road that we're heading down and trying to fund three school systems, a public education system, a traditional public education system, a charter education system, and then a voucher program yeah. on a budget that's not even enough for the traditional public education system, we will fail too. And that's what I was going to ask you about, because who you're running against, um, Representative Todd Houston, who's the incumbent and the Speaker of the House in the state of Indiana, he is pro-voucher, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, that's correct. He's very, okay. Um, so what is so difficult about, or what I guess is the detriment of having voucher schools? Because you talked about how you're diverting the funding through three. What makes it... Um, more detrimental to, I guess, our overall education having those three channels? Sure. Well, so this is something I learned that I didn't know until I decided, and it is one of the things that inspired me to run, when I learned that the money for the school systems, how they were funded was changed back in 2011. And so it's, the money doesn't come locally. So all of our money will, so Fisher's money all goes it all goes into one big pot and gets redistributed. Okay, I didn't. Yeah, a lot of people didn't know that. I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> um, so there's not local control over that anymore. Now, we can do referendums, which we've done to raise money, but that's really the only way now. Okay. Um, so right now, we we spend approximately $160 million a year on the voucher program. Oh. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Yeah. And the money doesn't follow. So... If I'm trying to, I'm trying to yeah, think the best no. way to explain this. Um, well, let me just say this: because of the voucher program and the way that the um, the funds are allocated, it each year has costed just HSE schools over two million dollars. Oh my god! Two million dollars that we could have gotten. Yeah. Because these and the whole purpose of the voucher system, like, I get it in theory, why they started it which was so that kids that were in schools that weren't doing as well could go to a different school and have an opportunity. Frankly, I think that's kind of silly. Like, why wouldn't you just invest that money yeah, into the school? In the community. So that the whole, everybody at the school, so you're not just picking one or two kids, um, so the whole school gets a chance to improve. But, like, even accepting that premise, what has happened um, as the voucher program is expanded through Representative Houston's legislation, is that now you don't even have to have ever gone to a public school in order to receive a voucher. So it's not like they're rescuing somebody yeah, from no. a failing public school. And they have um, increased the, the family income 
that you can, the amount of money that a family can make in order to obtain a voucher. So now I think it's um, over $90,000. For, okay. And then you can still get a, the state pays for you to go to these private schools where the transparency on the accounting is not the same. Mm -hmm. um, and they're not required to treat people equally like other schools. They're mm -hmm. not held to those same standards. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think if you're going to take public money, then you should have to adhere to the same rules as the public schools. That's a really good argument. Um, I, I have a question that's sort of a follow-up to that, but you first ran, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, in 2018, was that the first time you ran? And that was a close race. <laughs> that was a really close race. You really gave Senate, or, um, Representative Houston a run for his money. How do you plan on closing that gap this year? Is it going to be through your stance on public education, or how do you plan on closing that gap? Well, I had one plan, and then <laughs> COVID hit, and now I got a new plan. Mm -hmm. um, but when I ran in 2018, I had no idea what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I was just a mom with a bee in her bonnet at that point. <laughs> I was like, all right, <laughs> someone's got to do something. Um, this time, I have some experience behind me. Um, I have a really, really strong team helping me. Um, and I, you know, I honestly think just going and, and knocking on doors and talking to people is the best way. And we can't do that now. Mm -hmm. It's not safe. And I don't want to put my team in danger. I don't want to put any of my, the people um, that we're going to speak to in danger. So we're doing um, literature drops and making phone calls. It's not the best. I, I hate being on the phone, but yeah, I do want to hear what people have to say, and that's really the best way to do it right now. Well, I did run into you. I don't. I don't. I didn't say anything, but I saw you at your rally. I think last Friday that you held at a public pool. <laughs> oh, my fundraiser. Your fundraiser. I didn't mean to say rally. I'm not <laughs> well versed in political uh, speak, but uh, I was wearing my Kona ice shirt. I was running to the. I was delivering ice, but that's beside oh. the point. But um, speaking on that, how how have you been able to manage events like that, fundraising events during the crisis? Well, um, that was our first one since the crisis, and we just had to find a, an, a venue that was outdoors mm -hmm. and that was basically three times the size of the people we expected yeah. so that we could have people spread out. and. We you know just ask everyone to wear masks and socially distance and everyone did it was fine, you know but it's it's hard it's not the same and you know I was all these people that I see that I just love mm -hmm. and like it's so hard to see them and not just want to hug them, <laughs> um, but you got to think we're keeping people safe and it's an it's an unusual time I and I anticipate that you know when I win there's going to be all kinds of roadblocks and being able yeah. to adjust and you know, change your plan is part of it. Yeah, I was going to, adaptability in politics has become huge in just the past couple of months. I, I wanted to ask you about absentee ballots and, and how you feel about the mail-in ballots, because that's been kind of a controversy. Do you think it should be a controversy? <laughs> no, I, no, I mean, I, and I don't understand, and I've had this discussion with a really close friend of mine recently. I don't understand why, why they're trying to make some distinction between mail-in and absentee. Mm -hmm. So in Indiana, you can absentee vote by mailing your ballot in 
you just have to have a reason that mm-hmm. you would be there. Like my son got his requested his because he's going to be down at school. He won't be in town. And they don't check, first of all. So, I mean, it's kind of like an honor code. <laughs> <laughs> like no one's going to come to your house and see if yeah. you're really there. Um, so I just, I don't understand why having a reason is any different than just because it's more convenient. And I can't for the life of me understand why a pandemic wouldn't be a sufficient reason. Yeah. I, are they still requiring individual reasons on the ballots? Yes. As of now. As of now. Okay. So there's no blanket pandemic? There's none of that? No. Okay. How does something like that get enacted? How do you, how would people try and make that change to make it a blanket? Or is that not something that we could do is change no, it? No, you to could change it. Um, it's not. You can't. I can't. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> but it could be changed. But um, And I know that there's discussions about it, but there's a lot of resistance to it. And I, I can't for the life of me understand why anyone would resist it. I think it's beneficial to both parties. Mm-hmm. And I think it's beneficial just to democracy generally to have as much turnout as you can. Yeah. I think it goes even back to how everything's becoming politicized, like even the mask debate. Oh. I, and that, that's that's a dead horse that's been beaten many a time on how that got politicized. But it's been strange to me, the point you brought up, how this benefits both parties. I don't understand how there's still discourse going <laughs> against it. But is there any reason specifically? Well, I mean, I can think of lots of possible reasons. Yeah. But it's probably because... It's it's almost it's just childish. It's if you say this, then I'm going to disagree just for the sake of disagreeing. And I think um, that national media kind of stokes those mm-hmm. fires, and people get obsessed with it, um, with with the national news. And it's oh, I'm I'm sure everybody out there has a, an aunt mm-hmm. or an uncle that if you go to their Facebook yeah, page, <laughs> you're like, oh my god. I was just about to say that Facebook has become kind of a cesspool a little bit. Oh, yeah, it's like like Twitter used to be. Well, yeah. Tri- Twitter still is. So. I'm sure there's deep down somewhere in Twitter, but <laughs> Facebook, like you log in, you open it up immediately, at least for me. I don't even subscribe to any of that stuff. It just pops up for me. Yeah, me too. And it's, I'm like, where's, I just want to see that cat's doing <laughs> exactly. something cute. Come on. Oh. Uh, but you were talking about national media, and I have a question we kind of brought this up in our last episode but how do you get your voice heard in a local election if everyone's kind of paying attention to national media how do you how do you reach out to local media and does that make a big kind of drop in the bucket local media i don't know i mean does it matter Hmm. i guess that there there's probably varying theories on that i think even though our district's big Mm-hmm. Fishers is a very big district, um, or 37 is a very big district. It's 90,000 people, I think. Um, and even though we are in some diff- difficult, different times, it's still doable mm-hmm. to physically just go talk to these people. I mean, these are my neighbors. These are people that my kids go to school with. Um, these people at my church. So... I think just having like real life discussions. I, no one wants people. I don't think that people really believe political ads anyway yeah. because there's always a spin. Yeah. But being able to have conversations, um, you know, I have some of my st- strongest supporters are people who are 
Republicans, na- you know, when they vote nationally. But you know, we've talked about my position on you know, public education and um, gun safety, mm-hmm. and they're in agreement and they are supporting me. So I think just doing whatever you can to reach as many voters individually is the best way. Absolutely. And have so you said you were doing phone calls and still trying to talk to people in person. That's not the same, is it? No. Have you found some real difficulties with trying to connect to people over the phone? Because I'm sure a lot of people just don't answer. Yeah, they don't answer. They don't answer. No. Well, when, we, when the pandemic first started and everyone was first shut down, we started making phone calls and everyone was answering <laughs> and they were so excited to talk to you. They didn't care who you were then. Yes. <laughs> Um, now that things are open back up and, you know, it's, it's back to like, very few people answer. Um, but when they do, I mean, people are nice and they're receptive and, well, for the most part, I mean, yeah. you get a few. There's outliers. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, it isn't the same as just going up and, like, look, you know, being able to see, like, look at somebody and, you know, see their emotions. Yeah. Well, that's the problem with the mask, too, is because so much is, like, of people's emotions is read through their mouth and stuff. That's got to be tough, even if you're in person to, to gauge that. <laughs> I had somebody tell me when we were still going door to door, but we had masks on, and she looked at my picture on the on my handout, and then she looked at me and she's like, "Doesn't look like." <laughs> like how can you tell? <laughs> the fifty percent that she could see, it wasn't matching up. <laughs> um, so, uh, with your fundraiser, did you feel like that was a good way to reach people? Did you feel like it was a success, I guess, is a better question. I felt like it was a success, yes. Um, I, and I did reach some people that, and met some people that I hadn't got to meet before. Mm-hmm. Um, but and that event was more a lot of just friends and family supporting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, because it is difficult to try to, and I had a lot of people that I, even even friends and when we were you know kind of letting people know about it just say okay i support you or whatever but i'm just not comfortable mm-hmm. coming out in public and i totally understand that i mean yeah especially it, like if you have any kind of underlying health issues don't risk it certainly for mm-hmm. a fundraiser i can just take your money <laughs> just, <laughs> just mail it just mail it yeah <laughs> unless you have to put a reason for that which, <laughs> Um, I, I guess my next question is about lit drops, the literature drops. Yeah. How effective do you think those have been, um, especially during the pandemic? Do you think that's helping with because people can't really see people? Do you think that's getting your message out there about as effectively as you can right now? So with my lit drops so far, I have actually put a handwritten post-it on every single one. So I've gone through a bazillion post-its <laughs> and pens. Um, but just so that people know that it's not just somebody mm-hmm. shoving something at their door. Yeah. It is from me. And I want to call them. I want to talk to them. I want to hear from them. And then we f- try to follow up those lit drops mm-hmm. with phone calls or, or texts. Um, I'm trying to see which one is going to be more yeah. effective, honestly. We're kind of experimenting with that right now. Like, frankly, I would prefer someone to just text me. Yeah. but No one really wants to talk on the phone anymore. No. So that's got to be a big thing that's changing, especially in local elections. Do you think that'll play out? This is just obviously speculation, but I, I think a lot of stuff starts in local elections before it grows out. Do you think we could see maybe I'd get a text from Donald Trump sometime in the next? Well, well they use emails. 
they pretty tagged effectively. Because in 20, um, 2016, my husband was getting texts from Donald Trump. So it's, it's kind of a tactic that's being employed already. Yeah. Okay. And I didn't do it last time because, honestly, um, I didn't have the bandwidth to try to figure out how to use it. Mm-hmm. I was just like the team last time was very small. It was mostly like me, my husband, and then I would ground my kids arbitrarily <laughs> and give them impose like arbitrarily long like punishments and then say, But you can work it off by going to Canvas. They'd be like, But mom That's using your workforce. That's what you got there. Yeah. So you have a larger team now that you think has yeah. the capabilities to do that? Oh yes, we're we're all set. Okay. I mean I just have an amazing team right now. Absolutely. And so you're, you're calling, you're texting. Do you think social media is also going to play a role in this? Yes, I do. And um, another thing that we do um, and will do, and I did it last time and I found that it was, I got a lot of response from it, is I hand wrote thousands of postcards and mailed them out. Oh, wow. Um, because I think if you just do like a generic like campaign flyer, mm-hmm. people, I mean, when they come in my mail, they don't make it into the house. Oh, yeah. They're it's, immediately in the recycling. It's always candidate, spouse, child, child, dog in the middle. That's what we see a lot, and I those don't normally get inside. Mm-mm. But if you see something that's handwritten, you're going you're gonna to look at it at least. Yeah. You're like, how does this person know me? What do they want? <laughs> and um, I, I had some people reach out to me from just from those last time, and um, – I'm actually still in touch with those people. It was pretty cool. And then I've, st- I've also sent some letters out. Because mm-hmm. um, in 2018, one of the things I loved doing was going to the nursing homes. Mm-hmm. Because my sister works at a nursing home, and I just know that these are people that are engaged, and they have time, and they want to hear what you have to say. And I can't go now. Yeah. So I've... I wrote every single person in a nursing home in Fishers a letter. Hopefully they all got them. That's incredible. So I, I don't want to label you grassroots because I don't fully understand. But you're, you're, would you describe your campaign as people-driven? Yeah, I don't 100%. think you could say grassroots. I mean, Can I say grassroots? I don't know if there's a, anything that a negative connotation. but Not to me. Not I mean, to you? I, don't, I, I think it's kind of... I'm kind of proud of it. Yeah. And in 2018, like I was literally like up making shirts in my guest room with my cricket. Like, yeah, we that's were, about as grassroots as it gets. Yeah, we were had to be resourceful because like we didn't have any, we didn't have anything. And um, and we have a little more this time, but it's still, I want to be as resourceful as possible mm-hmm. because that's just how I am. And yeah, and I love that it's, you know, neighbors helping me. Um, I have a lot of high school kids that helped in 2018 and helping again. And that's that's been kind of one of my favorite things because they don't have any preconceived notions about how campaigns should be run. Mm-hmm. So they're just kind of going like <laughs> with gut. And it's, yeah. you get some cool ideas that way, yeah. like things that I never would have thought of. So, yeah, it's I, – I, I'm very proud that I am a grassroots campaign. And do you think that's a big advantage you have over uh, Speaker of the House, Mr. Houston? Because I don't see him operating at the level you're operating. Well, I have to. I have a bigger hill to climb. Than yeah, he does. you have a bigger. Yeah. But um, I think, I hope that it speaks to 
kind of my character. I'm not, I don't have the corporate money coming mm-hmm. in that he does. Um, my, you know, my donors are all family and friends or you know, people around the area. But I think that also means that when it's time for me to go make decisions, I'm going to make decisions based upon what those people, what my constituents want and not based upon what the corporate donors want. I'm not going to be beholden to anybody. Yeah. And I think that's a big advantage now because you see change doesn't really happen when you're, as you said, beholden to anybody. So if you or when you are elected, I uh, love that when you're elected, (laughs) (laughs) um, you won't be the only responsibility. The only responsibility you'll have is to the people is kind of what you're running on. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not there's not going to be special interest driving my decisions. It's going to be what the voters want. And what I've learned from talking to as many people as will pick up the phone and talk to me. So you are kind of gathering these ideas from the very, from the front of all of it. I really like that. That's a good way to run a campaign, I think. Um, I have another question. In 2018, there was a huge crop of women that were running for political office in Indiana. Yeah. Um, do you, is that trend continuing in 2020? It is. It is. Seems like it. Yeah. 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 And there is some. We have some great women this time, and we had some great women last time. Mm-hmm. And like they've become my dear friends. I remember meeting a lot of them for the very first time when I went to that first meeting here in this library, and they said, um, "I was just like, oh, maybe I want to do this. I'm not sure." And um, now these women, I, I I lean on every day for support. So. But in, right now in our district, um, District 5, our congressional district, we have Christina Hale mm-hmm. running, and she's an amazing candidate, and she's doing, she's out there really hustling, and I think she's doing a great job, and I'm excited to be on the same ticket with her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and what I've seen in the past couple of years is Indiana was never a flippable state. It feels kind of flippable now in in a lot of ways, and do you think that's being driven by kind of your movement um i say yours and all the the group of women that you're running with do you think no, that's I think it's me personally it's <laughs> you personally you're fully <laughs> kind of pulling all of indiana um but do you think that's being driven by a lot of these people that are tired of the way politics are being done um i hope so yeah i don't know that indiana might be all flippable mm-hmm. but i think that this area is um i think that we in this area, we have a lot of you know, smart, engaged people who really, you know, they don't want the status quo because they know it's not working. Mm-hmm. It's been, it's not working for my family at least. Um, and I think, and we are so far behind so many other states, you know, the progress, it's, it's almost like embarrassing. Yeah. You know, we, we talk about Hoosier hospitality and then we go and pass RIFRA I mean, geez, that yeah. is so embarrassing. <laughs> but, yeah, so we're lagging behind. So you think people are ready for, I, I don't want to say progressive, but really progressive change. I don't mean progressive as in a, like a leaning politically, but as in making changes sort of way. You think people are ready for that? Yeah, I think so. I think, and I think we've seen that a lot just with the past, um, you know, with some the recent rising with the Black Lives Matter movement and all the support that it's gained mm-hmm. even in this area is just amazing, you know, because I think that people under people, at least in our district, understand that 
how important it is to have equality and how much disparity there is right now that needs to be rectified. And that kind of starts in education, doesn't it? It does. It all kind of pulls back to that. Yes, it does. So with the your plan for public education first, do you think that could start to foster? I, I hope you think that it could start to foster some change, but it, it would you're running for public education as a means of equality almost, because I think everything's inextricably linked with public education. Well, I think that public education is like the foundation of any community. Mm-hmm. So you're absolutely right. And there is disparity in the public education system, but there's also disparity in our criminal justice mm-hmm. system. There's disparity in our housing. Um, there is, there's just so much systematic disparity yeah. that needs to be addressed. And people, I think people are ready for that and they're sick of waiting for it. Even with back in 2018, one of the big things I was pushing for was a hate crimes bill because we were oh. one of the five states that didn't have one. And again, like how embarrassing. <laughs> but um then we they passed this bill i don't know why it's it's not comprehensive it didn't really do anything it has no teeth um and it doesn't send a signal that you know we're the kind of state that doesn't stand for this that we accept people for who they are and if you were going to be victimized just because of the basis of your identity then that's a problem for us yeah and that's the kind of message we need to be sending, and we just haven't. So would you work on rewriting that bill or completely scrapping, creating something new? Well, I think that we just need to make sure that it includes protections for, mm-hmm. you know, um, what, what are the words I'm looking for? Protections for um, sexual preference, for sexual identity, for um, heritage. Like, it just doesn't it, – it doesn't – protect our most vulnerable citizens and if it can't protect them what's the point yeah so you you kind of well is is and that's such an interesting issue that we technically have a hate is it technically a hate crime bill anti-hate crime yeah i mean it's what it's called it's technically <laughs> but it really doesn't do anything do you think that a lot of our policies in indiana are kind of like that a little bit straw manny in that way I feel like we're kind of appearance-based yeah, at this point. Yeah, we're good for that. We're good for that. We're good for kind of throwing up a little smokescreen. Yeah. So you'd be running to, or you are running to kind of put a fan to that smokescreen. Absolutely. Oh, I like that analogy. Yeah, you can fully use that. Yeah, I'll give you credit, though. No, you don't have to. Just throw <laughs> that slogan up. I'll know. <laughs> yeah, I just, it needs to, we need to have meaningful legislation that protects all of our citizens and not just the few that we've been protecting, you know, over and over, that don't really need it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a head start enough yeah. at this point. Um, and I, I think, how did it change your whole campaign philosophy when uh, Speaker of the House Houston stepped into that role? Because now he controls a bit more, doesn't he? And are you kind of combating against that showing that we have these bills that don't really have teeth and that it looks like he's not doing anything or has it made it only tougher for you ever since he stepped into that role? A lot of people have asked me this and I think that, let me say this, I am running my race. Mm -hmm. 
and I am running on issues that I care about and that things that I believe in. And I'm not going to react to anything that ha that he does. And it really makes no difference to me. I don't care if he is, um, you know, just normal state representative or if he's Speaker of the House. I don't agree with his policies, and I'm just fighting to change him. And I don't, I don't know how many people really even understand what it means. I totally do not understand. I, I'm, I'll be the first to admit that. So what is exactly the responsibilities of the Speaker of the House? In the That's a better question for him. That's a better <laughs> question for him. <laughs> um, but it, it's got to be... You, that's a good way to run things, I think. Yeah, he, if he's leading the house, like he's so. If if he's in charge now, which he is, and all the victories are on him, but also all the failures. Yeah, all the failures. And I think that we've seen a lot more failures. Yeah. <laughs> and frankly, right now, like, the, like you and I were talking earlier, these are weird times. Like, mm -hmm. it's just these are weird times, and. We need leadership. We need people to step up. And it's astounding to me. One of the things that I find astounding is that our state government wants to be all up in the school's business when it comes to their financing and their testing. But when it comes to how to get them back to school safely, they're like, I don't know. I mean, we're going to leave that to the local schools. Oh, the one thing you leave? That's, the yeah. one thing you leave locally <laughs> where we could use some leadership and guidance? So, um, yeah, I just... I believe that he's sh not shown the kind of leadership that I think we need right now, especially when things are pretty crazy. Yeah, I, I was going to say, especially with, we've seen that at the national level, is trust is falling. I think, you think at a local level, trust is also falling. You said that the losses are also on him. Do you think that's something that's being reflected in public opinion? Or I don't know how to really ask that, but do you think people are recognizing that he's had these faults? I hope so. You hope so? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think the teachers are, for sure. Mm -hmm. You saw that with the, you know, back in January with the march on the State House. It was, I was, I was there. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. It was so amazing to see these teachers, like, find their voice and, you know, try to demand what they deserve. Um, so I think that they are definitely seeing that they, they're they tired of being told another year, mm -hmm. just wait another year, just wait another year, and what they play kick the can. Um, and I, I hope that everybody else sees it too. I think that people pay more attention to national politics because it's, frankly, more exciting. But it's it, you really shouldn't because the things at the national level – won't impact you the way that things at mm -hmm. the local level, the state level will. I mean, these are the things that you deal with every day about your school, the schools your kids go to, or the roads you drive on, the water you drink. Yeah. You know, that's all. And But if the two are tied together, um, I think people, a lot of people are ready for change just all around. And I think that's an incredible juxtaposition that you, that you painted, where you were marching with him and he was kind of sitting in his office. I think that's a really good way to describe would you say it's a good way to describe how you've been running things on the ground hands-on while Absol he sits on a pedestal absolutely and you know when when the all the riots and stuff were happening and i was when they did the demonstration the student-led demonstration here in fishers i was there i thought it was amazing i know i spoke out about it and 
I heard nothing yeah. from him. Nothing one way or another. And silence is kind of complicity at this point. Yeah, I mean, I would rather have him speak out and me disagree with it than to just not hear anything at all. Yeah. It's frustrating. That is a little frustrating. Do you think, I don't want to make you speculate, but it sounds a little bit like, I haven't seen much of his campaign really, uh, for me personally, and it sounds a little bit like, I don't know, it sounds like he's scared a little bit to me, the fact that he doesn't want to say anything either way. And I think that he can not acknowledge how 2018 won and how close that race was, but I think he might be a little bit scared and pulling back. That's just how I'm seeing it. I don't want to. You should ask. I should ask. He, uh, <laughs> he's an avid listener to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh oh, I've just given away all my strategies. <laughs> no, I think that'd be wonderful if he listened. I don't think he likes me very much at that point. I haven't been critical, but I've never, I haven't invited him, which I think might hurt his feelings a little bit. I know his nephew pretty well, but oh. he's in. But that's the difference, I think, is that you both have kids in the school system area. Yeah, they're friends. They're friends. Yeah. And it's, it's, that's just such an interesting dynamic with local politics, I think, that you don't get at a national level is you kind of see how it works. Well, that is, and that is one reason that I have made a vow back in 2018 that I keep to this day that I will not make, I will never make any personal attacks and yes. get dirty because, I mean, I can, I will state the truth or like, well, maybe, you know, question him on his record or say where I've been disappointed. But at the end of the day, win or lose, we're still neighbors. Our kids are still friends. So That's a wonderful thing about local politics. Is there anything else you want to highlight on your platform before I let you go today? Anything else that you think that people should know? Like how should they get involved in your campaign if they have been interested or anything stirred inside them listening today? Sure. So, I mean, I won't bore everybody by talking about all my issues. You can go to my <laughs> website, um, which is, I should say, votecole2020.com. You could also do amyriverocole.com, but okay. I have to explain how Amy's spelled, and it's phonetic, <laughs> and it's really difficult. You can never find a bicycle with a license plate <laughs> growing up. So it's votecole2020.com, and it has... There's more information about my issues. There's all my contact information. So if you want to call me and talk to me, I'd love to do that. Um, or email me or text me or come sit on my back porch. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you want to get involved, there's information on how to do that on my website. We could always use people to help make phone calls, write postcards, um, do lit drops, and... Um, if you want to donate, we could always use money. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We will be back next week at around this time. Thank you, guys. Thank you guys so much again for tuning in to our fourth episode on Fresh Take with Joey and Ranveer. And if you were interested in anything at all you heard today and want to find out more about Miss Rivera Cole, then you can find her on her website, coleforendrep.com. That is C-O-L-E-F-O-R-I-N-D-R-E-P.com. She was a wonderful guest and I hope you guys enjoyed. As promised, I will tell you why Ranveer wasn't here today. It was because he... Uh, it appears I ran underneath the tunnel. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Stay beautiful.